22, and drop down to verse 34. Now I ask that you please stand for the gospel reading. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, by the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. You may sit. So what are the greatest commandments? Jesus tells the Pharisees that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor. This probably came as a surprise to everyone who heard it. They most likely believed that keeping the Sabbath holy or something to do with blaspheming God or uh, one of the Ten Commandments was going to be the greatest commandment. So it would have been a surprise to hear Jesus saying the greatest commandment had to do with love. They could probably understand how loving God was the most important, but loving other people as much as yourself? I thought we weren't supposed to love ourselves. Those are all questions that are probably going through the Pharisees' minds. These are questions that are probably going through your mind. I know that they were going through my mind. These questions can be answered whenever you look a little bit deeper into the real meaning of this text. And the first and most important thing that we need to answer is that Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus was quoting the Shema when he said this. Interestingly, he made a slight variation. Instead of saying strength, he says mind. Jesus often brought commandments from being external things to internal ones, such as when he says that even if you look at someone lustfully, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. Matthew 5 has many great examples of Jesus bringing outward laws <laughs> inward, which if you have been keeping up with the Bible challenge, you'll be reading in a few days. So Jesus is saying that you must love God with all of yourself, not just a part of all of it. You cannot love God with just your mind. You cannot love God with just your soul. And you cannot love God with just your heart. Jesus says you shall, not you can or you should, but you shall. The NLT actually says that you must. So it's not an optional thing. Jesus is actually saying that it's the most important thing. But that's the easy part. You're probably thinking, loving God, I got that. I love God. Well, that's good. But do your actions really show that? When you love someone, you want to be with them. Do you, do you desire to spend time with God? When you love someone, you desire to be close to them. You desire to know them more. Do you desire to get closer to God? Do you really want to get to know God's character? These are all questions that the answer should be yes. And if it's not, then maybe you veered off the path. Maybe you're loving something more and you're loving God, because we're supposed to love God more than anything or anyone else. 
Jesus says that loving God is the first and greatest commandment. We must love God first. Then through that love, we can love others. Because if we are all honest with ourselves, there are some people that are really difficult to love. But with the love of God, we can love even those people. Even the people who get on your nerves. Even the people who irritate you. Even the people who cut you off and drive 10 miles an hour under the speed limit and somehow take every turn that you do for five miles. Maybe, just maybe, with the power of God, God's love, we can love the people who mock us, even those who persecute us, those who wrong us. With the power of God's love, we can love even those people, just like Jesus did whenever he was dying on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is where it gets pretty difficult for some people. Because who would want to love someone who didn't love them back? Much less someone who hated them, mocked them, cursed them. Jesus did. And we're called to be like Jesus. We are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We have to love other people. Jesus tells us that it's the second greatest commandment out of all 613 laws. Just like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. Love is what binds us. It's what brings us together. If we did not have love for one another, then we would be nothing. We have to love other people. We can't just sit in our rooms all day, every day, reading the Bible and praying to God. There's a time and place for that. But there's also a time and place for loving others. Going and serving other people. Helping someone in need. And even just being there when someone is feeling lonely. These are all ways that you can love someone this week. What does it mean to love others like we love ourselves? Well, it means that we treat others how we would want to be treated and how we treat ourselves. An example would be like this story my friend told me. He was sitting in math class working on a problem and saw that his friend had made a mistake. So being a good friend, he corrected his mistake. And of course his friend was like, oh, yeah, thanks. Then when his friend saw that my friend made a mistake, he got mad at him and angrily corrected him. This is the kind of thing Jesus meant when he said to take the log out of your own eye before removing the speck from another's. We have to give other people breaks for doing things we give ourselves breaks for. Hypocrisy is what it's called when you don't do that. When you do something that you're saying not to do, you're being a hypocrite, and nobody likes a hypocrite, so don't be one. Both of these commandments have something in common. They're both dealing with love. Jesus is saying that love is more important than not murdering, not worshiping false idols, not divorcing. Why is that? Well, when you look at it, you see that with love, you don't do these things. Murder? If you love someone, you aren't going to murder them. Worship false idols? If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then you aren't going to worship false idols. Divorce? If you love someone, you aren't going to divorce them. Love keeps us together and keeps us with God. That is why love is the greatest commandment. And that's why... Or that's what Jesus means in verse 40 of the NLT when he says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Because if you have real, true, genuine love for God and for others, 
and you won't sin. You won't hurt other people, and you won't try to hurt God. That's not to say that just because you mess up, you don't love enough, because we all make mistakes. But if you love them, then you won't have the desire to do wrong to them. So love God and love others. Now that the Pharisees try to trap Jesus with a question, it's time for him to come back with a question of his own. He asks the Pharisees, whose son is the Messiah? What's interesting is that Jesus is asking the Pharisees this question. This probably sounds weird to you because normally the Pharisees are asking Jesus questions. But the Pharisees do not ask Jesus questions to become more knowledgeable. Instead, they ask him questions to test him. This is backwards from how it should be. Normally, a teacher is the one testing the students. But over and over again, we see Jesus being tested. Even though he's the good teacher, and he always manages to answer these questions in such a way that they do not know how to respond. The latter half of Matthew 22 is all just the Pharisees and Sadducees testing Jesus. And, this, and then when Jesus finally asks them this question about whose son the Messiah is, they finally stop asking him all these questions. So what does this mean? And why was it so good at silencing the Pharisees and Sadducees? When Jesus asks this, they respond correctly and say that the Messiah is the son of David. Then Jesus asks another question. He asks, why David calls the Messiah my Lord? In Jesus' day, the father always ruled over the entire household, and a father would never have called his son my Lord. That would have been abnormal. Even today, if my dad were to call me his Lord, that would be, that would be pretty weird. Imagine for a second that the person who raised you started calling you their Lord. That wouldn't make you very uncomfortable, I would imagine. So this raises an interesting question. If David calls the Messiah, my Lord, is the Messiah the son of David? Well, the Bible says that the Messiah would come from David's lineage. So if the Bible is 100% true, then the Messiah has to be the son of David. The better question we should be asking is this. If the Messiah is the son of David, why is David calling him his Lord? David is calling the Messiah his Lord because he is. The Messiah is not only the Son of Man and not only human. He is also God. The Messiah is not only 100% the Son of David. He is also 100% the Son of God. This seems like an easy question Jesus is asking. The reason the Pharisees couldn't answer this question isn't because they were dumb. It was because they did not believe the Messiah would be God incarnate. What does God incarnate mean? It means that God came down in human flesh which is what we believe about Jesus and what he claimed throughout his entire ministry. Jesus was not just God, and Jesus was not just a man. He was at the same time 100% God and 100% man. So why does that matter to you? If Jesus was not 100% God whenever he died on that cross, then he would have died in vain. If Jesus was 100% man, then he would not have had the power to stop himself from sinning. And if he sinned, then he would have not been the perfect sacrifice for us. But because he had no sin when he was killed, he conquered death and rose from the grave and filled the prophecies. There are many more important reasons as to why this matters, but I won't get into all that today. My dad or Pastor Bruce could explain that much better than I could. When the Pharisees couldn't answer Jesus, they stopped asking him questions. And the NRSV says that from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. 
And if you continue reading through Matthew, you'll find that to be true. No one asked Jesus questions again until his questioning under Pilate. Jesus had backed the Pharisees into a corner, and they did not want to confess that Jesus was the Son of God. No one risked asking him any more questions, just in case Jesus was to back them into another corner. The funny thing is that the Pharisees were the ones trying to back Jesus into a corner. They had spent all of chapter 22 asking Jesus difficult questions, trying to get him to say something that they can arrest him for. But he answers all their questions in ways that are both true and won't end them up in jail. But when Jesus asks the Pharisees a question, no one can answer it. So why does all this matter? It's important because it helps us to understand who Jesus is. We take knowing Jesus is God for granted a lot of the time. When we see a passage that talks about the Messiah being God, we think we already know all about that. But why do we know that? We only know it because it's written in the Bible. If it weren't in the Bible, then we would not be able to to conclude that Jesus is God. But through verses like this one, we can see that Jesus is in fact God, and he did claim to be God. It wasn't like after he died, his disciples started saying he was God. Jesus had been saying it all along. This might surprise you, but there are some people who don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, much less God. Some people think he was just a good teacher. But how could he be a good teacher and lie about being God? Jesus is either God or the most famous crazy person to ever walk the earth. You have to decide for yourself. But since the more likely option is that he's God, we know that we can't outsmart Jesus. Because Jesus is God, we can't outsmart him. Just like how the Pharisees and Sadducees in this chapter couldn't outsmart Jesus. If these guys couldn't outsmart Jesus, then there's no way you or I could. They dedicated their entire lives to reading and studying the scriptures. These were the big people in Judaism. They were at the top of the legal and religious orders. They would have studied the Bible so much that it would have put almost every American to shame, including myself. So when Jesus tells you to do something, it's best just to do what he says and not try to get around it. But if you're confused by something that he says to do, then you can always remember that it's okay to ask questions. You can ask God questions. That's not what the Pharisees did wrong in this chapter. What matters is your intent for asking this question. If your intent is to test God, then you're not asking correctly. Because Deuteronomy 6.16 says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's a very clear command. We should not be putting God to the test. So don't. Now this is my final point. Love is not a feeling. It's an act. Jesus is not commanding you to feel a certain way because feelings are subject to change. But loving God must stay the same. That is why we can get married and say, I love you. It doesn't mean that you will feel the same way about that person for the rest of your life. It means that you're going to love them for the rest of your life. You can be upset and still love them. Feelings come and go. And you can even feel something you don't want to feel, like when I got a new cat. It was a happy time, but at the same time, it wasn't. It was sad because not even a week before, a cat that I had gotten for Christmas had ran away. It was difficult for me to be happy when I should have been. Feelings are confusing. That's why Jesus is talking about the act of love and not the feeling of love. There are many ways to perform acts of love. And the way that we can give God love is through prayer, reading the Bible, 
listening and obeying him, tithing, serving others, and praising him. So let's perform an act of God today and sing one final song of praise. And ask the worship team to come on up. <laughs> 